Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. Please continue standing for the reading of God's word. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this week's service, uh, we return to a theme that runs through the entire Bible, that you and I and every human being, we are all made in the image of God. It's a beautiful thing. In last week's message, I pointed out the three larger ways that Bible people have talked about that, that when we're made in the image of God, we're able to reflect the ways of God to our world. We're able to mirror that, glorify Him, is the way the Bible puts that. Uh, The second thing is that we are people who represent God in this world. And the third I pointed out is being made in the image of God means that you and I are able to relate to God and to other people and to the rest of the created world in ways consistent with God. Now today I want to come back to that third part of it, the, the relationships piece. And it might seem a bit ironic to you that when I'm talking to you about personal relationships, I'm doing it via a video. But be that as it may, that's what I'm going to do. What I want you to see today is this, is that when it comes to living the way that God made us in his image, the most basic need that you and I have is to have a right relationship with God. Now, that relationship is broken. And many people will sort of use the language, well, that means that the image of God in you or in that other person is broken. But that's not really the case. We're made in the image of God. It's not the image of God that is broken. We're the ones who are broken. It's not God who somehow has to be restored. We need to be restored to him. And I want you to know that our restoration to be the kind of human beings living life as we're supposed to live it, it starts with us being restored to a right relationship to God himself. And all that is rooted right in Genesis chapter 2, because the very first relationship that Adam had was a relationship to God. You see him walking and talking with God in Genesis 2, 15 and following. The very first broken relationship 
that they had was the relationship to God. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were found hiding from God. And then the Bible goes on and says every other relationship we have is affected directly by a relationship to God. So the call then is to get our relationship with God right because it affects everything else. How does that happen? Well, it's the center of the gospel that Jesus, God's son, came into this world for that very reason. The first thing he came to do was to make us right with God because he alone lived the life that we're supposed to live. live. He was the one, Colossians 1 says, who was, made in, who was made as God's image. He alone lived that way. None of us has. But then he was willing in our place to die the death we should have to die because of our sins. But now we don't have to because when you and I confess our sins and turn from them and place our faith in Jesus, then what happens is we're declared right with God and God gives to us the Holy Spirit and begins to restore fully that image. In fact, Paul would say, we become conformed to the image of Christ in Romans chapter eight. So that call is to make sure that you receive Jesus into your life. I, I pray that you have. Now, my next question is this. When you have actually received Christ and, and you've been made right with God, what happens in your life? And we see so much of that from Genesis chapter 2. The things that were lost when sin came into this world begin to be restored. Like what? Well, like this. You begin to live a life in which you experience the presence of God. That's exactly what uh, Adam had. In Genesis 2, he experienced God. God was right there with him. Uh, he experienced a, a wonderful life with God. The, the thing is this, that God is not absent. As I said, when we think about the image of God, that we're to have a relationship with God, it's not that God is dead, and it's not that God is distant. God is everywhere present. But there's something missing in our lives. And what Jesus said and what he meant by this in John chapter 3 is we need to be born again. Born again. It's a, it's a wonderful phrase that when you're born as a baby physically, you become alive to the material world around you. And you still have this sense inside that there must be a spiritual reality, a, a God, one who started everything. But you're dead to him. You're not alive to him. And Jesus says, when you believe in me, you'll be born again, a whole new life with God. This is what you were made for. This is exactly what Solomon meant in Ecclesiastes 3. I don't know if you remember that sermon in which he says, God has made us as human beings with eternity in our hearts. Nothing in this material world can fill that place. It's what St. Augustine was getting at in that wonderful phrase, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. He's saying, we were meant to have a personal relationship with God. And what is restored when you place your faith in Christ is that you will know the presence of God in your life in ways that you haven't known before. What else is different when you become right with God? You begin also to live a life, and some people don't like this as much, but a life in which you actually walk in obedience to God. Because the Bible tells us that actually you and I were made to live the way our maker tells us to live. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 2, you find that Adam was walking and talking with God. But Adam was not God. God and Adam were not equals. God alone is God. And so when you come to chapter 2, verses 16 and following, 
even though Adam was given this free orbit to create things in this world, to enjoy the things of this world, to make the most of everything that God had provided. He had so much permission and liberty to do that. There was one thing restricted, one condition, but, God says, you may not eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Now, I'll tell you, scholars have debated about why a tree and why eating fruit, but the Bible doesn't answer any of that. What it really is saying is simply this. God intended you and me to enjoy the world he put us in and to enjoy the lives he has given us. But that, that in ability to enjoy it always comes with a moral accountability to God, that we only really live life if we live the life that our creator created us to live. We've been made in God's image, and we have great liberty. We, we are told to rule. But even that ability to rule, as I talked about last week in the message, over the rest of creation, is a rule under his ruling of our own lives. And so the way you and I, as human beings, were made to live is a life that had an accountability to God. Uh, nothing else in all of creation had, a, uh, had that kind of responsibility to God. There were no moral requirements of rocks, of course, or inanimate things. Even animals don't have that. But a part of our dignity is that we can know what our God who made us asks of us. And the Bible tells us, and you have to think about whether you believe this, the Bible says this to us, when you live the way God created you to live, when you live seeking his will rather than your own, then and only then do you really live. Now, is there anything more countercultural in Southern California than that? I'll tell you, everybody tells us, well, you really experience heaven uh, if you just live the way that you want to live, take control of your own life. And I tell you, that ain't true. That simply isn't right. Because I'll tell you this, God made heaven and God made you. And it's only when you live the way he made you to live that you begin to experience that life as Jesus would say, I've given my life to give you abundant life, life to the full. And so this principle that is embedded by having this moral accountability to God being a part of what makes our relationship to God right is this. If you really want to live life in paradise, like Genesis chapter 2, then it comes when you seek to obey God. But if you want to walk away from paradise and the life that God made for you, then disobey God. Let God be God. Paradise begins. Go your own way. Walk away from your life that God made for you. Which one is yours? What kind of life are you living now? I tell you, um, we are made in the image of God, and a part of that is we are made to know what God would have us to do and to live that way. The fact that human beings have not lived that way is the reason why we have all the messes in our world. The ecological messes, the economic messes, our family messes, and your own mess if your life is in a mess. And the way to begin to have that made right is to embrace again what it means to be made in the image of God, to have a right relationship with God where your trust is in him, and where you have surrendered every part of your life to his moral requirements. And I'll tell you this too. When you find that your life is right with God, you're living as he directs you, it will affect everything else in your life. 
Uh, you'll, you'll treat the rest of creation in a much better way. You'll be a much better caretaker of the world that your father has made. And you'll treat people better too. Because this is what's going to happen. You will see that not only you, but they are made in the image of God. And just as Jesus said, it all starts with the first commandment. What is that great commandment? Love God first. But what does that flow into? Jesus says, when you love God first, then the second is going to be right on its heels. It's going to flow right from it. Then love your neighbor, and that is anyone God brings across your path. Everyone will be made in the image of God. Love your neighbor as yourself, for you'll see yourself as being made in the image of God. So relationships that reflect the image of God begin with the right relationship to God, and it flows over to a right relationship with everything else. And that beautiful truth is what I'm going to pass on right now to my colleague and friend, Matt Barnes. I'm going to ask him to talk to you about that. I'm going to ask you to listen to what God would have you to, to hear today. And we pray that you and I will be leaving this place today more fully reflecting the image of God and living to his glory. So uh, across the miles, I say thank you to Dr. Waybright for sharing the pulpit with me once again. And I'm really honored and thrilled to share God's word with you this morning. But I would like to start with something different, a few announcements. So let's put the next slide on the screen and we'll see the first set of announcements. This coming Sunday, so not this Sunday, but next Sunday at 9 a.m., in the Sky Room, the Galileans class is hosting Dr. Averbeck, Dr. Richard Averbeck. He is a professor of Old Testament and Semitic languages at Trinity Evangelical School just outside of Chicago. And Dr. Averbeck is going to lead in that time to talk about the so-called debate between faith and science with regard to Genesis 1 through 3. At 12.30 on the 19th, Dr. Averbeck will be with us in the Rose Room talking about reading Genesis 1 through 3 specifically with regard to the how God created and, and when God created. What are we allowed to believe and think about those things? And then on, uh, on, on the 26th at 1230, also a luncheon in the Rose Room, there will be a panel discussion with some of our Lake Avenue scientists and engineers and a, and a question and answer time. Now here's your assignment. Firstly, come to this panel discussion and question and answer time, but, but really focus on that question and answer time. Really come up with a couple of doozies and try to stump some of our scientists and engineers. That would make that a lot of fun. And then the next slide, um, we've, been, we've been preparing material to go along with the beginnings Genesis in the Age of Science series. If you would like to have access to that material, whether for your personal devotions, your small group, or your adult class, please text your email address to 626-765-4454. And I will personally add your email to the distribution list. We send it out the Tuesday after each sermon is preached, and we would love for you to have that. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll get started for real. Jesus, we are grateful to you that you've brought us here this morning. We're grateful that you give us your word, that you speak to us through it, through your spirit. God, we pray that our ears would be unstuck and our eyes would be open so that we might see what you have for us. We might be equipped to do the ministry that you have called each of us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I fancy myself a guitarist. Um, and that may not be very fair because there are actual guitarists that were on this stage that are much better than I am. Jeremy and Eric are both amazing. But I like to play guitar. 
I tend to play an acoustic guitar, and I do it primarily for stress relief or because my two little boys like it and it keeps them calm. So that's an important thing as a dad. Um, but I love playing guitar, and maybe, maybe because of where I'm from, I grew up in Texas, I really like electric guitar, specifically blues played on the electric guitar. So my favorite artist of all time is Stevie Ray Vaughan. If anyone likes him, I like you too. <laughs> Um, but Stevie Ray Vaughan played the electric guitar, and I, I tend to play the acoustic guitar. And, and my love for the electric guitar sort of bled over to learning how people make electric guitars. Did you know the person who makes a guitar is called a luthier? Did you know that? Something that you can take home with you. A luthier is the person who makes a guitar. But I want to show you a picture of a guitar that one of my favorite guitar makers made. This is a beautiful guitar made by a man named Ben Crow at Crimson Guitars. And a master-built guitar like this could take many months to make. And this is basically how the process works. A, a musician, a client, comes to the master luthier and says, I'd like you to build something for me. I'd like it to kind of look like this and sound like this. The luthier then takes all of his skills and all of his materials that he knows, and he, and he tries to build the guitar to the client's specifications. He makes sure that the guitar's neck is in line with the guitar's body after he's built and shaped those, those parts of the instrument. He gets all of the different pieces of hardware in the guitar, the tuners, the saddle, the nut, the, the pickups and everything, and he makes sure that they're in right relationship with all the rest of the guitar too. And then he makes sure that the pickups, the, the, the magnets that tell the strings, to tell the amp what to do with the strings, he makes sure that they're in proper relationship with the amp too. Then he gives it to the musician, hoping that the musician will also be in right relationship with the guitar and then will make beautiful music. And the idea here, of course, is that he wants to, to make this, this guitar beautiful. He wants it to make beautiful music, but he also hopes that in doing so, his bank account might get a little more beautiful too. But the point of this is this. For the guitar to do its job, it needs to be in right relationship, all the parts in right relationship. The same thing is true for us. God wants to do beautiful things with us, but he wants us to be in right relationship for that to happen. He wants us to be in right relationship with him, with each other, and with the rest of creation. Well, Pastor Greg helped us see that God originally intended for all of us humans to be in right relationship with him. Pastor Greg reminded us that God desires to be close to us. He paid a great price in order for that to happen. We're the only thing in creation that was given moral accountability. And as we'll see in a minute, we're also the only thing in creation that God shared some of his authority with. Nothing else did he do that with. So we were intended to be in right relationship with God, but we're also intended to be in right relationship with one another, with other human beings. We saw in Genesis chapter one a few weeks ago that God created, and when he did, he said seven times that he saw what he created and it was good. And the last time he said it was very good. So when we're reading Genesis two and we come to verse 18 and we read these words, it is not good for the man to be alone. Our ears should perk up. We should say everything in creation was good and now something is not good. It should make us pay attention. It should make us think, I wonder what God's going to do to help this poor guy out. <laughs> and so God had grace on him and made a suitable partner for him to alleviate the loneliness. Now God understood the value of connectedness because God himself has always existed within community. You remember in Genesis 1.26 that God says, let us make humanity in our image, those plural pronouns. We've always believed as followers of Jesus from the time that Jesus lived until today 
that God has eternally existed. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, three in one. So God understands the value of being connected. So he paid, he made, he made every effort to make sure that the first human could feel that kind of connection too. Furthermore, we are created in God's image as a reminder that we need to be in right relationship with one another. Pastor Greg was reminding, of, reminding this of this. None of us have less or more of God's image than anyone else. We're all created in God's image. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, I think is very helpful here. In a sermon entitled The American Dream uh, that he delivered at the church where he was senior pastor, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, on July 4th, 1965, he said these words, among others, he said, the whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it's expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to base black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. And then he gets very hopeful. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. Undergirding the civil rights movement that Dr. King was part of and a leader in was not progressive politics. It was this idea that every single human being is made in the image of God, every one of us. And it's also what undergirds the rights that, that people struggle for, for basic human rights around our world. It's undergirded by this idea that every single person is made in the image of God. It's the reason why we should basically be kind to one another. Someone opened the door for me just a minute ago. That was kindness. It made me feel like I'm made in the image of God. And it's the, the reason why, it's the foundation why we should sacrificially care for others just like Jesus did, because each of us is made in the image of God. This is important, and we need to pause here for just a minute. If we waffle on this idea, if we waffle on the idea that not everyone is made in the image of God in the same degree, then we might one day say that the image of God is less in some. Maybe it's less in those who are too old or too young or too broken, or too poor, or who may have differing abilities than others. And that's, that's a dangerous thing for us to think. Perhaps we'll treat those that we say have less of the image of God worse than those that we think have more. That's not something that we have a biblical mandate to do. We're not allowed to do that. But if we, if those who follow Jesus firmly stand on this idea that every single one of us is made in the image of God, and all of us are full of dignity, and worthy of unending respect as a result, then we can and should fight against all forms of discrimination and bigotry and rudeness and disrespect and the like that we see. This is the natural and logical outworking of the doctrine of the image of God. If we believe that each is made in the image of God, then this is the way that it looks lived out. So we are intended to have a right relationship with God, a right relationship with one another, and we're intended to have a right relationship with the rest of creation, with the created order. Pastor Greg led us very well last week to see the biblical mandate 
for creation care. And today, I just want to recap what he said very briefly. Genesis 1.26 says that God made humanity in his image so that he might rule over the rest of creation. So being made in God's image, like Pastor Greg just reminded us, means that we reflect God, we represent God, and we can relate with God. Thus, as we care for God's creation, we should do so in ways that reflect his love for creation, that represent his care for what he has made, and that demonstrate we are in line with him and in in a right relationship with him. And we see this idea fleshed out quite a bit more in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2.15, God places the first human in the garden, and he says he does so to, to take care of it and to work it. Those two words are interesting to me in Hebrew. One of the words literally means work it or cultivate. And we see this idea in Genesis 2.5, the same word is used there, where it says there was no one to work the land. God made the garden, but there was no one to work the land. It's almost as if God made a place, an empty spot that needed to be filled in. It kind of reminds me of what he did in Genesis chapter 1. For instance, on day two, God made the sky and the sea. On day five, he makes the birds and the fish that fill that space. He does the same thing in Genesis two. He makes a garden that needs to be cultivated. Then he makes one to cultivate it and places him within it. He makes the garden and places the man in it to work it and care for it. The other word there, work it, and the other word means literally something like to keep it or to have charge over it. And this seems like a mix between to rule over, to manage, to keep it, to guard it, maybe even to protect it. The the idea here is that the first human's job was to care for and to work what God had given him authority over. Now, as a quick aside, I think sometimes we think work might be the result of the cursing in Genesis 3, (laughs) especially if the work that we do is difficult or tedious or boring or something, right? But it's not. We've just seen that. The very first human was given a job to do. Work is something we've always been intended to do. We also see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, that God has the first human name all the other animals. In ancient Israel, naming something meant that you had a level of authority over it. You, You see this in the story of Jesus, when Joseph, his earthly father, is not allowed to name him because someone else has authority there. We see the same thing here, that God grants some authority to the first human and says, name the animals, giving him, granting him some of God's authority. So therefore, all of this means something like this. We see from all of this that the first human was not given carte blanche to destroy or to abuse what God had given him. He was placed within the garden, was granted authority quite literally to take care of it and to work it. All right. So Genesis 2 is an ancient story written a long time ago, for people who lived a long time ago. This doesn't have anything to do with us today, right? (laughs) What does this have to do with us today? Why does it matter to us today? Let me ask you a few questions that might help us get there. You don't have to raise your hand. Has anyone ever felt shame or guilt because of something that they've done or left undone? Has anyone? I know that I have. Friends, that's a sign that our relationship with God is not all that it was intended to be. And that, it, that we need a reminder that God intends for us to have a right relationship with him. He desires for that to be the case. Has any one of you uh, had someone that you love hurt you? Or have you hurt someone that you love? Has, has any one of us ever suffered under rudeness and prejudice or been the one who was being rude or prejudiced? I imagine so. 
Friends, these are signs that our relationships with others are not right either. They're not all that they could be. And we need to be reminded that God desires deeply for our relationships with each other to be made right too. Has anyone ever been discouraged by the waste and the pollution in our world and, and by how we disregard what God has blessed us with and how we don't care enough about creation, especially those of us who follow Jesus? Friends, that's a sign that our relationship with creation is out of whack too. And we need to be reminded God has always intended for us to care for creation well in ways that reflect him, represent him, and show that we're relating well with him. So how do we respond to a passage like Genesis 2? How do we grab a hold of all these broken messes and fix them? I don't know if you're like me, but I really like to fix things. <laughs> and when something's broken, I want to fix it. And I have bad news for me and for you. We can't fix these broken relationships. I can't make these things right and neither can you. Only God can right what has gone wrong. Only God can make untrue the sad things of this world. He sent his son Jesus in order to do this, to carry out the great rescue plan of righting all the broken relationships, our relationship with God, with one another, and with the rest of creation. But friends, where do we start? Where do we start? If you've never submitted to your life, your life to Jesus for the first time, if you've never made that commitment to him, then today is the day to do so. Jesus came, he was fully God and fully man. He led a perfect life that we can use as an example for our living today. He died a death that each of us deserves, but he did it instead. And on the third day, he was risen to life by the power of God for our sakes. Friends, all we have to do is trust him. And in so doing, there's no pit that's too deep for his love to pull us out of. So trust him if you never have. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you followed him for two days or for many decades, there's a question we all need to answer. Are we continuing to submit our lives to him? Are we continuing to do so? Are we surrendering to following his ways so that our relationship with God might become what it was intended to be? Are we following his ways so that we can show the kind of deeply sacrificial love that we see Jesus showing in the gospels? Are we seeking to care for creation in ways that God always intended? Or have we allowed politics and personal preference or apathy to get in the way? Are we following Jesus or are we not? The call for all of us is the same. It's a call to obedience. Obedience to the commands of God and submission to the ways of Jesus. What if more and more of us lived the truths we see in Genesis 2 out? I want to show you another picture of a guitar. Normally, a master-built guitar takes many months to create. This master-built guitar took 12 hours continuously. <laughs> you can actually look up the 12-hour guitar on YouTube and see Ben Crow making this guitar. I want to just point something out. When, when a luthier gets a job from a client, the, the guitar builder, he takes what the client wants. He looks at the specifications and says, I bet I can do this. I'll use all of my skills and I'll make this guitar just the way it was intended to be made. I'll make sure everything's right. The neck angle is right. The body angles are right. All of the hardware is correct. Everything is just so. For one reason, he wants to make a beautiful instrument that plays beautiful music that will make his bank account a little bit more beautiful too. Friends, if we obey the commands of God, if we follow the ways of Jesus, then our relationship with God 
our relationship with each other and our relationship with the rest of creation will begin to be made more right by the power of the Spirit. We would begin to become the beautiful people God has always intended us to be. We'll do all the beautiful things he's always intended for us to do. And we would make God's fame that much more beautiful if we just submit to him. We would bring God more glory. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that you speak to us through your word. We're not always comfortable with everything that you say to us in your word, but we're grateful that you use it and you use your spirit to speak to us, to challenge us, to grow us, to equip us so that we might do the ministry that you've called us to do, each of us. We pray, God, that you would give us the grace and the, and the mercy in order that we might follow Jesus more. In his name we pray. Amen.